0: I, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, am an unqualified success. Now get the cards,
1: the drugs, from my general... Years ago, I took on every wrestling promoter throughout North
0: America. I kicked every one of their asses. The the with me. In a court of law, I took on the United States of America and I kicked her ass. I took on WCW and it took me a while, but I kicked their asses. Not because I was an asshole. No, no. Ask me, Mr. McMahon, what's your secret? More than any one quality that makes me the successful man that I am, ruthless aggression. So I want to know here tonight, as you stand here on my ring. Which one of you has that quality? Who among you has that one single ingredient? Who has enough ruthless aggression?
1: Yeah. They want from me the more money we come
0: across the more problems we see. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the we come across, the more problems we see. B I G P O P P A no info for the D E A federal What's
2: that Connection, welcome back to the ruthlessly aggressive podcast. I'm back. After my brief hiatus, uh, my little paternity leave. But uh, I could only get so many uh, vacation days for the bosses that had me back in. No, just kidding. I love doing the pod, and I am thrilled to be back doing it. exciting times here on the ruthless aggressive podcast Um, my last one before i took my little break was royal rumble 2003 so we are in earnest at wrestlemania season here in uh, the timeline 2003 so let me bring in my guest for this return episode he is one of my favorite people he's one of my running buddies um, when we took our little jaunt to vegas for SummerSlam last summer um that's mr steve riddle what's going on steve i'm good glad to be back for another run it's kind of funny i
3: i mentioned this well we before we started was um you had me last time i was on i did the uh, follow-up shows after armageddon 2002 and now here i am back again for follow-up shows to
2: a pay-per-view so I just find that kind right. of funny right well th- on that topic um I, I don't know if you've watched it recently or listened to the show or anything but i know you have a pretty um a pretty strong knowledge of uh You know your wrestling timeline. You have any thoughts to share on uh, your own thoughts on Rumble two thousand three and the overall thoughts on that show? Since that's kind of um, like you mentioned, we'll sort of be getting into the fallout of that. So, any strong feelings on Rumble two thousand three? I mean, it was a good show. I
3: mean, um, obviously, Benoit Angle was a was fantastic. Triple H Steiner was as bad as as it's you know as you think it is. It's in the the comically type of uh, bad that everyone uh, remembers it. And um, I mean, the rumble itself was, was solid. Um, so some got, you know, a lot of uh, interesting guys got some good time there. Um, you kind of figured um, Brock was going to win, especially after he beat big show in the, at the start of the show. So um, I mean, nothing like it was nothing offensive, nothing like standout, but nothing, as, like I said,
2: aside from Benoit angle. But um, I mean, it was a, it was a good show. Yeah. It's a solid one. They, I feel like in this era, I say it every time we have one that even when the build is not perfect, they just have so much talent. It's hard for them, especially because they combine the rosters for these pay-per-views. So it's really tough for them to to screw up that badly just due to the amount of talent they have. Like, it's kind of difficult to put on an outright bad show. Um, but, yeah, it, it was interesting doing that one because part of what you go through when you do it a pod like this is, for things you've kind of seen already, is, like, does it fit the memory? And I think both those matches you just mentioned kind of fit there. Um uh, you know fit their reputation like ben Wyangle angle was super good like you remembered and triple h steiner was really bad so um history was uh our memories were not um lying to us on those so um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um but as we normally do we'll, we'll hop right into it because these are always jam-packed we'll get into our news uh notes for this week um not a ton going on um we have a uh we had the death of the original Sheik, and uh, they estimate he was 77 years old here in 2003. He's um he was born at a time in a place where uh, the record keeping was not apparently the most uh, accurate, but they assume he was born like 19, I think it was 26. I, I worked out and he would have been 77 here. So um, Sabu's uncle, the original Sheik, passes away here. Uh, you know, kind of famous for. Um, I'm trying to think of what I'm most familiar for. I know in the early ECW days, he comes out a little bit. I mean, I know he's a big deal. I want to say in like Detroit or like Michigan was his main territory, that whole area. Yeah, funny. I think
3: um, I think it was like big time wrestling in Detroit. He actually, he owned it and he was like the big, obviously the big star there for the majority of its time. And he was kind of like one of the early pioneers of um of like the hardcore wrestling, like mm-hmm. he would use the pencil and um, he was one of the first ones to like throw fire in his opponent's face. And then, like you said, um, yeah, he was a, you know, Sabu's uncle and he also helped train Rob Van Dam.
2: So a uh, great uh, little legacy mm-hmm. that he ended up leaving behind. Right and seventy-seven. I mean, wrestler years. That's like hundred and fifty years old. So good for him. <laughs> you
3: know? Especially with some of the some of the stuff that he apparently sure. you know did in his matches. I mean, I know there's probably not a lot of footage of him out there, um, right. but
2: if you just hear about some of the stuff he that he did, it's amazing that he actually made it to to that age. Right. I, I can't imagine they were super cautious about like uh, blood-borne pathogens and stuff back in his time. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. All right, so as I mentioned in the beginning, we're getting into Mania season, so we have a quick blurb here about just the general vibe backstage going to Mania or kind of with their, uh, you know, Meltzer just gives like a few notes and what's going on. It's been clear WWE was building for a major Mania pop, and now it's bordering on overkill according to Meltzer, particularly if they end up inking Goldberg to Wrestle Rock. Um, So this is what he's thinking, that they could be going to do Goldberg, Rock, McMahon, Hogan, and Austin's first match back, which may be with Triple H, the return of Kevin Nash, um, Undertaker just returning, uh, and then also the people who are sought to be like the future of the company, Brock and Kurt. So he kind of ponders that this could be overkill. That's more his opinion, but I'm more focused on. I think it's interesting to see what may be some of the rumored matches that could have been. I mean, it ends up being a super low to WrestleMania, but just these matches here, I, it's... It's interesting to imagine uh WrestleMania 19 with Goldberg versus Rock <laughs> thrown right? in there with everything else that happens on that show.
3: Yeah, that would have been uh that would have been pretty crazy.
2: Right. But it just kind of shows you all the everything that they have cooking behind the scenes as it's been sort of a, in the past six months, I'll say, since Rock left, they've really kind of focused on, you know, and they've had to with Rock and Stone Cold leaving more of these uh younger guys and stuff, and you're seeing maybe at least the rumors would have it that going into mania maybe some of these legendary guys are going to be these big names are going to be coming back so it's, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out with you know the way they've been doing things the past few months without all these guys
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah definitely all right uh raven and we spoke about this a while back but uh raven officially released and as well as just an incredible um Old PJ, they are officially let go on January 20th. And we mentioned this the last time Raven was on, very strange because he had just debuted. I wouldn't say, I don't know about a whole new gimmick, but a new look and maybe a little bit of a different in-ring style, in-ring style last time he was there. And then we talked about it. He had that one match and he'll be in TNA pretty shortly. So a very strange uh, uh, little time frame for Raven. And uh, Justin Crowdable, I mean, I don't know if I've ever even seen him on this show doing the pod. So not a big shock there. <laughs> yeah, he might have been just doing like house shows and um, the sea shows by that point. Right. Velocity. Uh, filler. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we get a little bit of a note about uh, Brian Gawertz saying he wasn't at the pay-per-view Raw this week because both he and Paul Heyman were suspended by Stephanie from the creative process for one week. They've had many loud and vociferous arguments because they have totally conflicting viewpoints on wrestling. They have one this past week that got way out of control with both swearing at each other loudly in the office and both to agree they're in the doghouse with management over this as well as because they're both handling things well. Um when uh they aren't handling things well, I should say, when management makes a creative decision that they don't agree with. So just a little bridge I mean a little window into the uh the backstage, a little bit of the backstage turmoil going on in the creative process here as they're Again, this whole time frame and why it's so interesting and part of the reason why I want to do the pod is that it is a, everything is in flux and you kind of hear it, see it here with the backstage stuff with, you know, like the obviously being a key part of, you know, arguably their hottest time ever, like in 2000 and in that. And now you have Heyman coming in and Stephanie's a bigger force backstage now and kind of all these. uh And then, of course, Vince always in control of everything, all these different um all these different factors kind of weighing in and how that's all working out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in those <laughs> those uh, backstage right. meetings? Right, because I'd imagine Gortz is, you know, he's kind of known for more like, I wouldn't say silliness, but like maybe doing a little more goofy stuff. Um, and Heyman is obviously, I guess, in a certain way in this situation, would probably be a little more old school. So I'd imagine that's probably there. If I had to imagine there are disagreements here, but and I assume Steph has the final say, of course.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Right, um, And then finally, our last one um, here is that Lex Luger is telling his friends that despite all the heat from the past and the bad reviews he's gotten, he expects a call soon, feeling Vince is a mark for size. He's 300 pounds and that there are also marks for delivering surprises, and they are running out of candidates. So Lex Luger thinking that he's going to get the call any day. So imagine a world of uh, Lex Luger showing up in 2003 WWE. <laughs> that would have been a uh... –
3: <laughs> yeah, that would have been a uh... – a shocker <laughs> yeah especially uh considering um not to jump ahead but what happens later in the year regarding him and um uh, and somebody else right. uh, that would have been that probably wouldn't have been that probably wouldn't be would have been the best that wouldn't have
2: not have been the best decision on uh Vince's part right and i think if there was any shot i think um Scott Steiner has probably uh, screwed you on that one Lex cuz i think after the Steiner run they're probably done with uh, you know anybody who wasn't goldberg <laughs> from that time right from wcw but uh anyway that's it not a, not a bunch i mean uh nothing too uh prominent but we'll see how this shakes out as we go through uh mania season which is always a, a juicy time in wrestling so uh but with that we we'll, will happen to the shows we we'll start off at ross or the night after royal rumble 2003 we're live from uh uh one of our north south head haunt shows, jt's uh haunt in Providence, uh, so this would be the January twentieth, two thousand three RAW. Um, we open with Triple H heading to the ring with Ric Flair. Um, he he gets to the ring. He um, he's selling his injuries from uh, his match with Scott Steiner, so he doesn't do the water spit. And uh, Jr. is pretty much telling us that Triple H got the shit beat out of him at uh, at Royal Rumble by Steiner. Triple H uh, twists the story when he gets on the mic and says that Steiner used the sledgehammer and on him and there will be no rematch because he's hurt blah 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 and here comes Steiner down to the ring he grabs the mic, says he's here to finish what he started and uh he wants his rematch etc cetera, etc cetera. Triple H uh, claims that he has a doctor's note so he cannot wrestle so it puts to bed any um, attempt by starting to get his rematch flair instead volunteers batista to take his place so and then we see batista enter and as uh steiner is i guess uh, putting his attention on batista triple h sneaks behind him um behind big papa pump dumps him out of the ring and uh they kind of cower away um afraid of um steiner's uh, wrath here so obviously the steiner feud is not over based on the match and how we're opening this show but the biggest takeaway from this is that you're starting to see all these pieces start to get connected with where we've seen we know flair is involved with batista we know he's involved with triple h but we've never seen those two sides come together And this is kind of the first inkling that maybe batista's batista is going to be part of their um their little uh group here so that, that was the main takeaway for me pretty standard triple h being a chicken shade heel just kind of continuing the food feud, feud um with uh, steiner
3: yeah like you said pretty basic stuff here uh, again triple h trying to spin that uh he was you know that he he was the dominant force and then steiner the only thing i kind of Puzzled me was that Steiner came out with the um, the tape on his ribs. But if you remember watching that match, um, yeah, he got hit with a sledgehammer, but he didn't. You see the recover from it pretty quickly during right. uh, <laughs> that, that one point. Then he, you know, when he took out uh, Triple H and Flair with a hammer, uh, he didn't seem like he was suffering any ill effects. And now all of a sudden, he's got the, you know, the, the ribs taped up. It's kind of a uh, kind of bizarre. Maybe after the adrenaline wore, wore off, that's when he started right. feeling it. But um, yeah, kind of little interesting, uh, you know, match coming, you know, the. You know, they promised you with uh, Steiner and Batista, um, you got two, you know, these big powerhouses um, kind of going head to head. You know, it'd be interesting to see how Batista kind of handles himself because he's been kind of, you know, I don't say under the radar. He did have the feud with Kane, but um, they obviously see something in him that they're putting him into this. You know, this now something with Steiner and associate, you know, by association now with uh, Triple H.
2: Right. No doubt the biggest spot that he's he's been put in by far. I mean, he's been working like, yeah, you could tell that they they have big plans for him, but maybe you didn't know that they were going to put him in this spot and, you know, have him um, carousing with the main event guys that quickly. So surely it'll be the it'll be the prevailing uh, story of the night, as we'll see. But so we'll look forward to that later. We'll see how it goes. Uh, We'll see uh, if we get a match based on Steiner, uh, what we saw at Royal Rumble. But anyway, our first uh, match that we'll get tonight is going to be RVD versus Jeff Hardy. Um So a fun matchup on paper here. Uh It's real fast-paced, kind of reckless like you expect from both these guys. A lot of this I thought was just them hitting their signature stuff, and I don't mean that in a bad way because I think when they're both hitting their main spots, I think they're both pretty good, especially RVD. Um, we get, uh, Jeff running the barricade and a nice little bump, but, uh, Rob too, took a nasty bump coming back in when Jeff uh, drop kicks. I'm like, Rob's going back into the ring and Jeff drop kicks and he gets kind of hung up in the, in the ropes. I was shocked. I thought this is a fairly fluid match for, you know, especially Jeff can be very haphazard and, you know, I don't think Rob Van Dam is sloppy, but he does kind of have that, his style's a little bit all over the place. So I thought this is kind of fluid considering the two guys involved. I thought it flowed pretty well. But um, Jeff goes up, he gets the Swanton, so you think that he might win, but Rob was able, was able to survive and then he uh, he steals it in the end with a um, with a backslide. But I enjoyed this for what it was, a nice little opener as our first uh, match on the show. It was just kind of like five minutes of these two guys going balls to the wall, which I mean that's kind of both of their strong suits. So I thought it was pretty fun. I actually went two and a half. I thought it was a pretty solid little five minute sprint of um, spots.
3: Yeah, I went um, two stars on it. I thought it was um, like you said, good little uh, fast-paced action. Both guys hitting their big spots, kind of uh, playing off the night the night before because because um, uh, RVD eliminated Jeff in the Rumble, so I guess this is where Je- you know you see Jeffs kind of wanting some revenge. Um, I did notice though, it did seem like. Um, you could tell Jeff's starting to get a little bit too sloppy with some of his stuff. Like maybe uh, the wheels are starting to come out, come apart for his, come off the rails for him a little bit here because um, he did look a little bit, um, you know, out of it as sorts. And um, RVD, you know, kind of did a good job of, you know, keeping things under control. But after the match, it kind of really confused me because it's like, you know. RVD wins and then Jeff attacks him afterwards and Mm -hmm. then tries to use a chair on him. So I don't know if maybe they were kind of starting a little like a Jeff Hardy heel turn where he's like getting frustrated with these losses and eventually he's going to snap at some point. But it just seemed kind of kind of out of nowhere that um, that they kind of start this little thing with um, with Jeff of a potential heel turn.
2: Right. It it was very strange. It, It does definitely hint at a heel turn like him going after him with a chair. Like in frustration, they're they're building on commentary. You're thinking maybe are they going to try and reboot him because he's been I don't want to throw out the term like buried, but he certainly hasn't been positioned prominently lately. Kind of, you know, I think the rumor would be that you know because of his out of the ring, out of the ring issues mostly. But um, part of me is like, maybe this is a focus thing to reboot them. But it also wouldn't shock me if it just led to absolutely nothing and they just decide to do this on this one show and then we never see anything again. Again, you could still, it's little things, but like, um, you know, RVD just kicking out of the swanton, Like, he's just not a guy that they have any interest in protecting right now. So I could see them going heel with him, which... Uh, I can't imagine that working. I mean, anything's possible, but it doesn't. Like Jeff Hardy heel, just doesn't sound like a recipe for success. But it wouldn't shock me if this they just completely dropped it. Hmm.
3: Yeah, especially yeah. I think they um they missed the window with him um back in the summer. So I think mm-hmm. by this point he's uh like you said floating aimlessly, and you wonder if maybe uh, a heel
2: turn would do uh, would do a little good for him. Right, so we'll, we'll we'll I'll track it and see what happens, but it could happen or it could just be something they drop. Who knows? It's a running theme on RAW where it's like a, a, sometimes a bit of a lack of focus, but we'll see as we move on. All right, we head to a uh, Christian backstage. He blames um, uh, he's uh blaming sorry uh Jericho blaming it. Christian for his um his rumble foibles until Eric Bischoff shows up and puts over that he has a bombshell to drop tonight. So we'll see what his bombshell is gonna be. So just some bickering between uh Christian and Jericho here. Uh mm-hmm. not too much. It's mainly just about Eric putting over his bombshell to tease for later. All right, we then see Randy Orton run into Scott Steiner backstage and says that um <laughs> Randy tells Steiner that sometimes people are wrong, like his doctor saying that uh, his shoulder was good when it's really only at ninety five percent, and Steiner was wrong about winning the title. This, of course, pisses off Steiner, who shoves him into a wall. Um, and of course, Randy says again, "Hey, my shoulder's only ninety five percent," and uh, Steiner tr- uh, chirps back at him that, "But he's one hundred percent asshole." So, kind of a funny line, but a uh, real good uh, douchebag, Randy Orton here. So, another um, we see Randy being positioned with this uh, with Steiner as well, maybe. And we've seen this in the past couple of weeks as he's shown back up on TV that Randy, just like Batista, is starting to get positioned with these higher level guys, too. Could be something to it, Steve. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I've always like that's one thing I've liked. It's like every week he's like, you know, he's it's like. Yeah, he's like yeah, shoulders slow like really slow because it seems like every week it's only like gone up one percent. Like it was like ninety three <laughs> last last week, and then yes, last night was ninety four. Now it's ninety five. It's like it's just like this is like the slowest healing injury in in the history of uh of Raw with this uh, with this shoulder fizz. But um, yes, yes, is like yeah, I, you're a one hundred percent asshole. Give
2: the line there by him. Right, I love the percentages too, as if like a sh- like you can pinpoint that closely like like an injury how well is this like 96%. There'd be no way you could um, like pinpoint it to that degree. But yeah, he's been a great douche. Um um all right so speaking of douches but we're not great ones uh Chief Morley has that uh, Nick Patrick in the back and he wants Nick to do a self-evaluation after his officiating uh, uh during the Dudley's big win at the Royal Rumble. Uh, Nick uh, watches the video and, of course, he's the Dudleys use the brass knuckles. He's very upset, obviously, that he made the mistake. He turns to Morley and admits uh, somberly that he made a mistake. And Morley says that since he made this horrible mistake, he now has to go out and publicly apologize. Which leads us to the ring. So now we have Nick Patrick in the ring. He, um, uh, Sorry, I don't know if he's there, but he, he apologizes and Morley wants him to reverse the decision. Yeah, I believe they were in the ring. Now I remember. But uh, Nick says it's uh, company policy, which I thought this was funny. that <laughs> They have any company policies when it comes to, like, reversing finishes or anything. I thought this was funny. But he claims that it's company policy that once he calls the match, like, you can't reverse it. So uh, Morley then calls out the Dudley boys out and asks them to forfeit the titles due to this um, injustice. Devon s- says that he must be out of his damn mind and then tells him to go to hell. I love Devon just telling him, you can go to hell. Was uh, I enjoyed that, but uh, Bubba argues that Regal brought the nucks out, and then and then Marley argues back to him saying that that's what Nick Patrick's supposed to be there to stop. The Dudleys call bullshit on it. Uh, Morley says that they better give it up or regret it because I'm the chief of staff, so getting very frustrated, starting to whine a bit here. Bubba um, makes a comment calling him just a washed up ex porn star who's trying to um, you know I guess be like a corporate guy now. They go to get the tables, but then Regal and Storm come in, make the save. Put Bubba through the table, and then uh, Morley tells us that we're gonna uh, we're gonna start a match. And of course, uh, Bubba's already been put through the table before the match could even start, and they just pin him and get the title. So, um, so uh, what what were your thoughts on all this? First of all, Steve, what did you think of them ping ponging the title right back?
3: It, it made no sense like uh, why well, go through all that to give the Dudleys their win the night, you know The night before only to just do this here and take it right back off them It was it just to give them that, you know Because the whole mm-hmm. one of the big things about that match last night was you know The fact that um, they were putting over on commentary how the Dudleys can be 16 time world champions So they finally get it and then they just lose the night the next night. It just you know, <laughs> It made no sense whatsoever. I I did find it funny. It's like you have, you know, Nick Patrick who. You know, throughout his career he you know been a crooked referee for so many times and now all of a sudden he's like the bastion of uh, morale- morality in terms of right. like company policies like you know it's like well, like well the referee's decision is always final and um yeah morally just you know coming off as just a you know real douchebag, you know, first, you know, making Patrick watch the tape and then having him come out and make a public apology and then trying to get the you know, force basically like demand that Deli sand the belts over. Um I thought the attack by Storm of Regal was Really good, mm-hmm. you know. Then putting Bubba through the table, and then like you said, Morley pulling out the ultimate douchebag uh, move by just you know making a match right then and there, and basically allowing Regal and Storm to get the um to get the quick win. Which by the way, I didn't um, I didn't even rate the match because it wasn't awesome. even a because it wasn't even a match, mm-hmm. um, but it just was really bizarre that they you know go through all this um, rigmarole the night before with the Dudleys winning the belts, and then they just take them back off here. Uh, this you know here. Uh, my only guess is that um, they're just kind of continuing this whole, um, you know, Morley screwing over with the Dudleys while um, giving the belts back to Storm Regal because that's ultimately who they want um, to be the
2: champions. Right, like the crowd was into it, and like I get it, they're trying to build this heel authority figure, but I just I. It was a very long segment for one, too. Like, a lot of them going back and forth. Like, I ran through it pretty quick. But it was, like, it felt, or I put it this way, it felt like a while. And I do find, like, I thought Devon was kind of funny. But my opinion on Bubba has been made very clear. But I always think when he tries to make these, like, smart-ass comments, he just comes off as a cornball. And I thought he did here, like, um, with his, you know, you're just an ex-porn star. Uh, he just always comes off like a goober to me. And I think the issue here is I just don't find Morley very interesting as a heel authority figure. So when they're building everything and putting all this work into trying to get him over, and I just don't buy him, I just don't think he's very interesting. He doesn't have that – he just doesn't have that, like, intangible, like a Bischoff or a Heyman or any of these guys do. He just feels too – I feel like he feels too wooden. I don't think he's interesting enough of a performer – Um in this role to really make it interesting. So I think that's my, my big hangup with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he could be a good, you know, good
3: heel. I mean, um, uh, you know, when he was in the right to censor in 2000, you know, he was fine in that role, but you know, when you're the fourth, you know, fourth man in a, you know, a tr- tr- group like that, you know, it's easier. But now when you're trying to be, like you said, the the right hand man of the boss and kind of almost being his voice at sometimes it's, um, you know, it can, sometimes it can work. Sometimes it doesn't. And, uh, Yeah, Morley, I think, is just having a hard time trying to find himself.
2: Right. I think part of it, too, is that up to this point, um, you know, early 03, almost everyone that's been put in that role has been so good. Like, if you think, like, who the heel authority, I mean, obviously, Vince is like the GOAT. And even Bischoff, you know, he did it in WCW and was great, and he's been awesome at it. Like, I think he's really good at it here. So it's a really tough spot to be put in because everybody else that they put in their role is so good at it. and kind of has the pedigree of being legit, like, you know, in real life, backstage sort of people. So I think that's weird, too. But I, I'll continue to give him a chance. But he's, I've found it hard to to get into his whole heel authority figure character so far. But we'll see. But, yeah, like we said, just a screw job to bounce the titles back to the heels and keep that story going. All right. All right. Uh, speaking of something that just keeps on going, we get our uh, our obligatory mixed tag match here where it's going to be Trish with a partner versus Victoria to partner. Now, Victoria's with Stevie, who's her little henchman. Now, um, Trish is going to be now teaming with Hurricane. Trish always has a different partner, depending on who is her like um, her savior that week. And this week, it's Hurricane because he saved her all while back. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, Victoria is in such sick shape, like, she is just ripped, um, in this outfit, of course, um, uh, King gets into it on commentary, but, uh, it was quite, it's a very, it's pants, but they are very low, I'll put it that way, but it did show that she is just in absolutely sick shape, like, um, just shredded, uh, but a little out of sorts, I thought, at the beginning, like, they do the whole deal where, um, uh, I think it was, um, I forget if it was Hurricane went to go after Victoria. I think it was Stevie who was trying to go after Trish or something like that. And they just couldn't get into much of a flow. But I thought once Victoria took over on offense on Trish, I thought that's when they really got into a bit of a groove. Uh, Hurricane hits the shiny wizard on Stevie as he tries to attack Trish. And Trish hits the satisfaction on Victoria to pick up a pretty easy win. Um... Yeah, I mean, match was okay once they kind of got past that that kind of janky beginning of the match. Uh, It wasn't very long; didn't have a whole lot of time to do too much. I want to start a half. My biggest thing for this is that it just—I feel like this whole Victoria Trish thing has gotten very aimless. They just tried them out there and you know put them in mixed tags and stuff not really much has been going on as far as the storyline it's not really building it just feel, feels meandering at this point i mean you just have victoria taking a pretty clean pin from trish here i don't really it's like i, I don't know where they're going with this at this point steve
3: yeah i went um starring starting a quarter um it was like i said fine for what it was <laughs> yeah hurricane um at one you know the beginning there didn't want to you know was trying to be the bigger man, not go after Victoria. Mm-hmm. But until she slapped him in the face, then it was like that's when he he you know, grabbed her by the throat. Meanwhile, Stevie had um, no qualms at all about trying to go after Tr- go after Trish. Um, so mm-hmm. that's you know kind of shows where he was at that point. But um, like you said, yeah, I think um, I mean this this Trish Victoria thing has been really going kind of off and on since, you know, last fall when, you know, they had their their matches at No Mercy and Survivor Series. And it feels like um, we need to have a blow-off here at some point, mm-hmm. whether it's on the next, you know, No Way Out or some, or even on Raw, just, you know, one last, you know, where Trish gets like one more chance at the title. Because um, it feels like these two, like you said, have just been kind of just going in circles. And maybe it's just because of that, you know, I mean we don't really have a lot of other you know women at this point. I mean Molly's kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, you know, Jackie's just, you know, pops in and there. I mean, you know, we really have nobody else. So it just feels like they don't wanna blow it off yet because they don't have anybody to uh to jump in there for the next feud. So it's just it's just really sucks because, you know, these, these two women are doing their best to keep things interesting, but they're not getting a lot to work with.
2: No. No, like we yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not really their fault. And it goes to what I was saying earlier. Like, they definitely have talent on Raw. It's just a lot of the undercard just continues to be their problem is that it just doesn't seem to have much focus. Like, and when I say focus, it doesn't have to be, like, the most intricate, well-thought-out storylines. What they were doing with Trish and Victoria before, like, when they were kind of at the peak of the feud, was pretty good. But now it's just, I don't know, they just trot him out there with Stevie and then Trish has a partner and they do a mixed tag for five minutes and... You know, rinse and repeat. It's just they need to do something else. But sometimes I want—I don't know if they pay attention to everything that's going on on Raw to be able to, to <laughs> do anything. So anyway. All right. We'll head backstage with Eric Bischoff, who puts over again. He's on the phone. He tells Vince's secretary, Beth, who this must be like some kind of insider joke or something with them because he repeated Beth like six times. Like he really emphasized, like, tell Beth, Vince's secretary, Beth that I'm going to be dropping my bombshell next, so... Um, just I continue to hide that Then we get, uh, I'll get your opinion on this I've talked about it a few times because they're coming up a lot Almost every show now But uh, these uh, Sean O'Hare vignettes So this is like the same one we've been getting This one is all about like church Like taking control, why would you go to church You could just do what you want All this, but <laughs> these odd uh, Sean O'Hare Promos, but uh, what is your opinion I've, I've spoken about them and um, I'm wanting to know what this is going to End up being because I don't remember it that well But um, thoughts on this uh, Sean O'Hara vignette, Steve? It was, yeah, I, I remember when the, these were happening. It was
3: kind of really weird because it was almost like he was going with this like devil advocate character, um, you know, with him like wearing the suit and basically like telling people to, you know, almost be really, like be rebellious, you know, like go, you know, mm-hmm. go against, you know, like like with the vignette here, go against the church, you know. You know, if God, if God exists, why would, wouldn't he just be sitting on your couch next to you every day, every day, which I thought was the kind of a funny line, but it was weird. It's like the, with you know, cause you knew the guy, you know, was a good wrestler. I mean, I'm watching him in, uh, in 2000 WCW right the head of the, when he was with the natural Born thrillers and the guy's good, you know, for a guy, his size to fly around like he does. And um, you know, obviously, as we see with these vignettes, you know, he's not that bad of a talker. So it just seems really, you know, kind of weird. Like, what's his ultimate end game uh, with with these uh, with these vignettes and with this this character that he's developing? It's just really,
2: really weird. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely screams of like where I feel like they're going to get to in this era, where it's just trying to throw shit on wall and see what sticks. Um, Which is typical when they, when they sort of get in these rebuilding periods, which are kind of, kind of starting and getting into in in this era is like, and just trying to, you know, they know they have these guys, but they don't, you could tell they don't have the most supreme confidence in some of these guys. So they kind of come up with these gimmicks that are probably a bit too much, like maybe a little bit overwrought for them. And I, I, I don't know. That's what this seems. We'll see when he actually debuts, but that's kind of what I'm feeling here. Like, like you, like what you said, instead of bringing him as like Sean O'Hara, he's a good wrestler, maybe give him a slight character. Like they give him this really heavy gimmick. And I don't know if he's, you know, I don't know if it's really going to work out. It might be just a bit too over the top. We'll see.
3: Yeah, I mean he all has right. bit, I mean we mm-hmm. haven't seen him since. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but he, we, I mean we haven't really oh, seen point. him since like the initial part of the invasion back in 01, So it's like, you know, he's been off. You know, been off, uh, been off TV and out of our minds for almost for a year and a half now. And now all of a sudden here he is with this with this new gimmick. It's just like, it's almost like where did this come from?
2: Right. Yeah. We'll see. Give him the benefit of the doubt, but I can't say yeah. I'm super optimistic. All right, so let's see what Eric, Eric's bombshell is. Eric comes out. He says that he was inspired by the Raw 10th anniversary show. And he asks, why wasn't Steve Austin invited? Because he did win Wrestler of the Decade or, you know, Raw Wrestler of the Decade or whatever the award was. Um, and he says that the reason was because he walked out and because Vince and JR say so. But we haven't heard Stone Cold's side of the story. So, um, he stopped the presses of the Raw magazine at 8 a.m. this morning so that uh, Steve Austin could tell his side of the story in the Raw magazine. So I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, probably a good way to sell the magazine, um, which is amazing to just think about magazines being like a viable business. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> and, but um, yeah, I just thought it was funny. It's like, and now you'll hear Stone Cold tell his side of the story in the magazine. Um, but that is not the bombshell. We see see a replay of the famous beer bath um, as they kind of push these raw memories. And he then invites uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin back at No Way Out, the next pay-per-view. So so as far as bombshells goes, I mean, he could have done a lot worse, I think. So basically, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible they would do this, but I mean, you kind of know Stone Cold's going to be back at No Way Out. It'd be a pretty horrible bait-and-switch if they did that. But I mean... Pretty much uh, announcing the return of Stone Cold. I have to give it to Eric. This was uh, a pretty big announcement.
3: Yeah, this was this was pretty big. I mean, I think by this point, um, you kind of had an idea that maybe they were uh, back on good terms with Austin because if they were still on bad terms by this point. Um, they could have you know easily rigged that Raw Superstar, you know. You know superstar of the decade vote with like anybody else like with rock or, you know, somebody else that they were on better terms with um, But the fact that they had to be Austin and now here's, you know Bischoff basically saying, you know, he's gonna give Austin a you know His a chance to say his to tell his side of the story um, In the magazine and then inviting him to no way out, you know, it was it was pretty big and um, You know, I think it was something that they definitely needed at that time because they were I think um, as much as he felt out, you know out of place back in um 2002 Um, i think by this point um they were desperate for some star power and having him back i think was definitely something that they
2: they needed right and the uh it's not like i mean the crowd pops huge for the announcement too so it's not like you know, despite the the uh, the uh, the hatchet job they did to him with the confidential thing and all, I mean, it has not affected the fans. I mean, the fans still want to see him 100%. I mean, he's arguably the biggest star they ever had. So um, one thing about this, and we'll see as we go into SmackDown, too, that I found interesting, starting to get into this build to WrestleMania 19. It's something that gets said a lot with, like, modern WrestleManias. Is like, uh, you know, like, as they get in the WrestleMania season, they start, like, Like a break in case of emergency, like all these people, you know, they get these uh, part-time guys that start coming in. And you're starting to see it even right here, like even in 03, like right after the Rumble, we get, you know, um, like Austin's going to make his return. We'll see what's going to happen on SmackDown. But you see them kind of going all hands on deck even here in this time frame for WrestleMania which I feel like is, like I said, it's something I feel like is known as more of a modern thing, but even 20 years ago, you can kind of see them starting to get into that mindset.
3: Yeah, I, I agree to an extent, although I I, mm-hmm. I will say that I think at this point, they probably still viewed Austin as a full-time guy. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously when he does come back and they kind of learn the, the extent of, you know, what his health is, I think they kind of realize, you know, maybe he doesn't have as much time as, you know, as he thinks he does. Um, but I definitely agree with you. Um you know i think it's right around this time in in the years few the years coming that we kind of start seeing they um really beca- get that reliance on um on the part-timers and it mm-hmm. becomes a little bit of a double-edged sword it's you know a good selling point but at the same time it also kind of does um kind of you know kind of kind of almost um kind of show their what they real their opinion on like the the main roster guys that maybe they don't have as much faith in them to sell a big card like wrestlemania that they have to rely so much on the part-timers
2: Right, right, especially when they've, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to look at the build from that, the build to 19, like, through that lens, too, because, like I I said earlier, so much of the past six months or so has been them, like, building these younger guys, like, especially on SmackDown, like, just taking all these guys and really putting the rocket underneath them and turning them into, you know, kind of having these younger stars is, um, so we'll see how that all shakes out, but. All right, we'll go to uh, we'll go to our next match now. After our bombshell, it's going to be three minute warning versus uh, Booker T and Gold. So Booker T and Gold, another team that's you know feels a little bit meandering at this point, as they you know um, you know lost the won the titles, lost the titles, and now they don't seem to be really in the picture anymore. What are they really doing? But tonight they're going to be facing three minute warning. Um, I thought it was funny, and the uh, JR called them. I don't know if he. I don't know if this is an accent or he just misspoke, but he called him three count, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I just, uh, so this matchup, I thought Booker T and Goldust, like they usually are in these tag matches were really awesome. Uh, nice fluid teamwork for them with the quick tags. Um, this is a pretty straightforward kind of formula tag match with uh Booker T and Goldust getting kind of a shine se- segment, uh three minute warning taking over for a little while. And then uh, Booker T and Goldust kind of come back and, um, you know, uh, the heels miss the big splash. Uh, three minute warning missed the splash. Booker T wins with the scissors kick. Pretty straightforward stuff. but my my takeaway from this one was that I just I, I just feel like I'm never super impressed by three minute warning in a standard match. And I feel like it's every time they have a match I repeat this, but it just seems to be the case. Like they have a few decent power moves, but they never, they do like kind of some basic holds and stuff, but I never feel as impressed by them as I feel like I should be. Like, I feel like they should come in and be like monsters and be really memorable like they were when they just debuted doing the beatdowns. And I just feel like when the bell rings, they just kind of feel like a generic kind of big man team with a few decent power moves, but nothing really that like I'm not dying to see them again, which is kind of a bummer because they look impressive. Like they look big and imposing, but they just don't really bring in. The ring. But I went two stars. It's just to me like a standard form of the tag match faces go over. Not too much also, to sir.
3: Yeah, I went two and a half. I actually really I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Maybe because of how good Booker and Goldust are mm-hmm. and have been as a team. Um they're still very um you know, their chemistry is just so on point. Um and um they're just so so good. And yeah, it's so I don't know what it is about three minute warning. It's like they're for two guys their size, they should be have a lot more like impactful offense and just like you said, mm-hmm. just be monsters and you know just be this dominant tag team. And you know when they debuted, you know they started out that way. But then I think by the time the fall came around, they just kind of you know got lost in the shuffle and now they're just you know a kind of a lower end tag team. I mean you've been watching every week. I can't even remember. I don't even think they've had a you know tag team title shot at any point uh, that mm-hmm. they've been that they've been around, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but like I said, you know, it was a good, you know, solid tag match. Um, Booker and Goldust, um, get the win kind of establishing them. I think, um, I think by this point, um, I th- they may have had an idea of what they want to do with Booker. Um, mm-hmm. cause, cause I think, you know, by this, you know, like you said, um, they're kind of, you know, I don't say aimless, but they're not, you know, in the tile hunt anymore after having that brief reign, um but I think they're just kind of keeping them, you know, somewhat strong. Cause I think again, like I said, I think they, um, by this point have something of an idea of what they possibly want to do, um, for Booker at WrestleMania.
2: Right. Yep. Just another example of kind of, a t- uh, some guys that are like, you know, position prominently but aren't doing a whole lot. And we'll see, um, when they start to maybe give them a little bit more focus, but yep. Agree. A three minute warning. Yeah. I don't know what it, it's like. The moment they start having like actual matches, they just kind of cooled off. Um, and I know the backstage stuff didn't help them either, but that's not the only issue with them. But uh, we'll keep rolling. All right, so our next match. All right, here we go. We have, uh, it's going to be Tess versus uh, Chris Jericho. And I believe this was also, um, well, Jericho start has a promo before the match starts because um, in the timeline, it is Martin Luther King um, Day. Jericho says that like Martin Luther King, he had a dream to win the Royal Rumble and it was stolen from him. And he is out for revenge. So, if I'm remembering, um, it's, it was a while back I did that show, but I'm thinking this is stemming from the rumble too. I believe Test um, eliminated Jericho. I want to say. Yeah. Almost well. Involved. Well. Mm-hmm.
3: Well. Sean had come. Well, Sean had come out and went after him, and that that got Jericho distracted, and then Test, yeah, Test took advantage and eliminated him.
2: Right. So, kind of another one of these uh, rumble uh stemming from the Rumble, but uh test starts off, he throws Jericho around a bit. Jericho comes back and starts working him down, doing the typical like chopping down the tree psychology. Um he's able to survive with like his ring savvy throughout this. kind of flipping over test back and um uh, never letting um like never letting test get too much uh, in control. But they head to the outside. Like I said, he flips over Tess back, sends him into the post. Um Jericho, like he tends to do at times, starts to get frustrated. Goes to grab the chair, but instead of uh, hitting test, he goes and, and the way they do it. I mean, I'm not saying I don't want Stacey to take a chair shot. Is not what I'm saying, but you could tell the way they did it. They definitely protected her. By doing the post and the way they shot with the camera, he basically hits the post. But it's supposed to be that he hits Stacy in the face with the chair on accident as uh, Tess moves. Uh, Tess tends to her. And now the way they do this, I was kind of shocked that they would go this route with this. But they they go full on like serious, like calling the EMTs. Like Tess looks test is like trying to emote looking like he's about to cry. Even Jericho, who's a shitbag heel, like looks looks visibly upset. He's like saying it's not his fault, it's not his fault. And they do like a full-on stretcher job and like that extends for a good while. Like this whole deal lasted a good 10 minutes or so. But they do the whole full-on serious like uh, you know, JR and King talking the the somber voices like they kind of do the quote-unquote like shoot style stretcher job if uh for lack of a better term. So um yeah, I don't know. It was a I, I, this is another thing where I don't really know. I was trying to think where they're trying to go with this. I guess Test is maybe going to want to get revenge on him, but I don't know. It was, it was an odd like tonal shift in the show here. Yeah, I, yeah, it was um, I went um, two and a quarter on the
3: match. I thought it was a solid match. Um,
2: mm-hmm. I
3: mean, they definitely wanted um, you know. They obviously saw something still in test that they're giving him this little bit of a push. And um obviously we know that um we're gonna get Sean and Jericho WrestleMania, so we have to, you know, figure something out for one or both of them between then. And I thought this was a fine enough, you know, issue here for Jericho. Um, like you said, he, you know, got that good promo at the end saying, you know, he was robbed and he wants revenge. And yeah, I mean uh, it is kind of a you know, good little, you know kind of fake out with you know how like they position you know the chair mm-hmm. that it hits you know it's supposed but it does look like at one point that it does hit stacy it's you know and she did a good job you know selling it um you know taking that that bump and i found what the only thing i found um funny was that um in the crowd, there's this like older woman. She has like her camera up to take a picture. And the thing she just happens to get the picture of is, um, is Jericho hitting Stacy with the chair, which I'm sure she probably <laughs> was the last thing she wanted to take a picture of was this, you know, this young girl getting a, a chair to the face. But, um, yeah. Then, then, like you said, the whole, like, you know, bringing the stretcher out and this whole, like, you know, Tess is so upset. It's like, you know, what, you know, this whole time we've been made to believe that test and Stacy are just like business partners. And now all of a sudden he's got feelings for her that he's like, so like, you know, he's about, you know, he's like crying, like he, that she got, you know, hurt and it, it's just so bizarre. And I'm, I'm interested to see how this plays out over the, the coming weeks. Um, but it's just really, really again, just kind of weird stuff that, uh, that's going on here. I, I mean, like I said, it's a good, you know, little like mini feud here for Jericho before he gets to Sean, at me which actually kind of by the way you know no sign of sean at this show which is kind of interesting i'm surprised we didn't mm. see him at any point um but yeah just you know really really weird stuff
2: yeah like uh, were you surprised too that jericho like sold it like he felt bad and didn't like heal off and say hey well wasn't my fault like he too he looked upset too which i it was a it was odd to me i, I wasn't expecting that
3: well, it's the kind of thing where it's like at the moment, in the moment, he kind of has to like, you know, he makes it seem like so. And then I think like, you know, then like after that, I think he can like go heel off and say like, oh, you know, you know, if test was, you know, the man he was, he wouldn't have, you know, ducked it, you know, ducked the chair, and let Stacy take it. That sort of, you know, that sort of thing, which I think is what he ends up, how he ends up spinning it. But um I think, you know, at the heat of the moment is just, you know, he. He was aiming for tests. He hits you know, he had Stacy and you know, he's then he kinda of has that like initial shock before eventually he kinda
2: of reheat, you know goes goes back to being a, a douchebag about it. Right. It's almost like they wanted to see like how tests will do in like a um you know, like a more personal feud that's more on like a uh like a deeper issue because it's not really something that he's done a whole lot recently since they've kind of started this test push. So maybe that's part of it. They want to give him a, you know, like a quote unquote personal feud so we'll see how he does um he had some uh some hogan mega powers uh, going after elizabeth uh emoting going on here <laughs> uh, he's he like trying to contort his face to look anguished yeah anyway. <laughs> all right we'll see we'll see where it goes it could they have to do something though for all that um but this too so after that big long um <laughs> they do this you know big somber like poor stacy getting stretched it out did she break her neck is she okay and now Al Snow at the at WWE, the world with the tough with Tough Enough, uh, and then they go back to being somber. Just real strange, like just to cut to Al Snow for like forty seconds, saying that uh, they're gonna find out the winner of Tough Enough tonight or whatever, and then going back to them being all somber about Stacy. Like just odd. Um, but anyway, after that, we go to um, unless you had any strong feelings about that, uh, I'll the world.
3: Other than that, um, holy crap, John John uh, Morrison looks so so young um, right. there because that was where he got started, and it does, it is kind of um, it is kind of sad knowing that because um, yes, I think it said on there that they, it was that Thursday that they would have the finals and they would announce the winners, and you know everyone kind of looked at um, at at uh, john and um back capitelli the guys who would win as kind of two guys that had like the most potential and obviously with hennigan you know with hennigan we would see that but we never got to see with capitelli because he had that uh that brain tumor that ended his his career and then ultimately ended his life so it is kind of sad that um his career never got um never got as go- not got never got as far as it could have because of that so
2: true all right, Flair's in the back getting Batista hype for his match, but before we get the um, um, we get these two guys coming out in the uh, the Raw Death Slot, I would call it, which is like the the five minutes that they have to kill before they get to the main event, and they usually trot out something that the crowd doesn't care about, and that's what they do here, is they send out Tommy Dreamer and D'Lo Brown to have a cane match. Uh, Teddy Long though, um, is with D'Lo kind of working as his manager. Um, he runs down um. Uh, he cuts a pro before it runs down uh, like uh, not using aggression like Martin Luther King, uh, having to take matters into your own hands. And a dreamer got rewarded with a spot in the rumble, even though he didn't earn anything, says Teddy. And it's time to get down with the Brown. So the whole thing, it, it feels like they're trying to do um, kind of a, a similar vibe to the Nation of Domination, just, you know, without the star power or any of that. <laughs> uh, just like a very watered down, like. Just D'Lo Brown and Ted. Well, we'll see where they go. I guess they could add. But it certainly seems like uh, a rehash of the nation. Is that what you were feeling, Steve? Yeah, uh,
3: I was thinking that. But, yeah, Teddy Long is definitely um, no Farouk. That's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and it's just, you know, in commentary, as we start getting to the match, it's just a lot of them, like, Jr. complaining, like, what does D'Lo think? It's not about, you know, kind of running them down for a uh, bringing in the race factor and stuff, just stuff that's been done before much better. And just feels, I think, especially in the 2003, it feels kind of definitely dated. Uh, but the match itself, it's just them kind of hitting each other with the cane a few times. Nothing too memorable. Uh, JR's just whining on commentary about Delo's behavior. Uh, Dreamer mocks him doing the delo leg drop, and then um, uh, Delo hits the low down and wins. Just a flat match. Um and if they had any confidence of really trying to get this over, this was not the point in the show to put it, because the crowd just was completely silent. They could not give a shit less about this. Completely dead. I would have half a star to Steve, just because um, I feel like there wasn't much to the match, and the whole angle just felt kind of flat.
3: Yeah, I, I gave it a star. I thought it wasn't... Um... It was, you know, what it was. Um, I'm at least I'm, I'm just glad that they didn't do this didn't do thing where it's like they had the Singapore cane on a pole, and then like the first one to grab it can use it, and then <laughs> right. they end up not using it like they would in future, um, future matches. Like, I'm glad that both that the that both guys had a cane and that they used it, um, they used it very extensively throughout the match. Um, I had like the, like the dreamer mocking Brown with the leg, with the leg drop was funny. And then I did like the finish where Brown used the, um used the cane to get some extra height on the sky high. I thought that was actually pretty uh, good mm-hmm. little finisher there. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was just like, you know, basic, basic stuff. Kind of, like you said, kind of kind of tied everyone over before, after what we just watched into the main event. And it's just kind of, Continue this, you know, this this uh thing that Brown's got going on with uh with Teddy. And I mean, it's kind of weird because, you know, I think this is Teddy's debut as the manager after being the referee um, for a while. And I mean, we've anyone who's watched, you know, back in the, the NWA knows he, he's been a good manager before, but it just seems mm-hmm. kind of out of nowhere that they, you know, Rehash him back to being a manager and do this. Like you said this whole like, you know racial thing even though we've seen it teased um, You know browns has been complaining, you know as of late that he's you know being held back because of his race and that sort of thing It just feels very uh, glad hand, glad-handed and just very
2: um, you know Just just out of nowhere. It's I think uh, half-assed it's like very high like It's not inspired. They're just kind of like, yeah, go out there. Like it doesn't have – and I think to me that's like the difference too in the nation. Like the nation was like like so developed, you know. Like they really got into it and like Farouk would actually go and cut promos that he would make like good points and stuff. Like they actually put like effort and creativity into it. This just feels like they're like – like you said, not even making a big deal about Teddy Long being a manager. They just trot him out. And like the worst time, like the worst slot on Raw and debut this in two minutes. It's just, it just feels so low effort.
3: Yeah. And Brown feels like he's past his expiration point at this point mm-hmm. too. So he just seems like he's just, you know, he's just really cooked at this point and he's not much, much longer for this company.
2: Yeah. Not putting them in a great spot to succeed. All right. All right. So we will get to our, uh, our main event here, which uh, seems like a, Definitely an interesting match on paper. It's going to be Batista versus Steiner. Like we said, Batista is definitely his biggest match that he's had thus far, but um, um, it is only going to be a match (laughs) in a technical sense because it really not a whole lot happens as far as an actual match. Uh, uh, Like, Very rushed. They just kind of punch on each other for a few minutes. It definitely doesn't get anywhere near something that would be like a main event match or even really a match at all. Like uh, Steiner has the rib tape on this, all the injuries. But, yeah, they just punch on each other for a minute. And then Randy Orton runs in for the cheap DQ. So uh, we can get to the post-match. I mean, if we want to even – I mean, I actually gave this a dud because I barely even considered it a match. I don't know about yeah, you, Steve. I, <laughs>
3: yeah. I gave it. A, I uh, gave it a quarter star. I mean, like you said, they they did um, have some good hits there, and um, Steiner did hit a good belly to belly on Batista, but um, but like you said, it was this was not so much about the match; it was more about the post match.
2: Right. So we don't really get much of a match. Uh, Orton comes out, and then we see Triple H is out, and they start jumping. Steiner it ends up being a four on one. We have Triple H, Flair, Batista, all doing a beat of Steiner. And it seems that we are seeing the uh, – they, they don't say it here, but we are definitely seeing the formation of evolution. Uh, the thing that struck me about this, though, it's like, yeah, they, they beat him down and they do, like, the pose at the end. Uh, Triple H grabs Steiner by the head and, like, poses. I think Steiner's even bleeding a little bit here. Um, we get a – yeah, like, it, it's a pretty solid little beat down, but kind of like uh, it did feel rushed. And it's – I'm sure we're going to get more on it next week, but as far as, like, kind of the – the informal debut of, of evolution, it felt kind of, it felt a little low key. I don't know. What did you think, Steve? It felt like it just, I don't know, something about it didn't like hit with the impact. I would have thought like the first, and I, and I know it's not like official. They haven't said the name or given a promo or anything, but it just didn't feel like, it, it didn't quite have the gravity that I expected it to.
3: Yeah, I think it was just more because um, like, like you said, after Orton feared. Um, Steiner kind of fights him up, but then when Triple H comes out, he's the one doing like most of the damage. Um, like you said, he you know busts Steiner open and he puts a good little beating on him, and then they do the pose. And I feel like this is more just um, like you said, just to kind of give trip, you know give Triple H one up on um, on Steiner. And I'm sh- I'm sure a lot of you know people at that time that were you know, knowledgeable fans were kind of, you know, kind of rolling their eyes almost like, oh, you know, Triple H just wanted to be Ric Flair. Now here he gets Mm -hmm. his own little, uh, he gets his horseman basically. Um, And I think um, at that, like right then at the time, I probably would have agreed with it. But I think um, as we see the group evolve, no pun intended, um, you eventually, Mm -hmm. we eventually learn, you know, can kind of of learn that um, this group will eventually be more to get over um, Orton and Batista as future stars, but um, for right now, I think it's just more to kind of give uh, Triple H a little extra heat and muscle. As as we know, we're we're gonna like you said, this feud with Steiner is definitely gonna continue.
2: Right, and, and in fact, I had to guess I think probably an issue with the, I mean, there's gonna be people just say, yeah, he's doing four Horseman cosplay, whatever. But I think another thing too is that if you compare them to the horsemen the way they're doing it is a bit different because the Horsemen were kind of like all those guys were sort of allies and then eventually they just realized it made sense for them to all sort of team up where here, they're just kind of throwing them together. And then they're going to do the, like build a relationship as they go. So they're kind of doing it in a different order. You know, it's not like these guys all new, they're just like throwing these young guys with triple a flare. And I feel like they, they're going to do the work on the, on the, um, on the back end or front end, however you'd say that, but like build it as they go, as opposed to like they haven't built it up that they were going to reunite, not reunite, but unite. Uh, so I feel like they're going to have to build it as they go. So it's different, and um, we'll, we'll see how the build goes. But it was just a little. I was like, man, I was like, damn, that's like evolution. This didn't, it just didn't seem like as big as maybe I thought it was going to be. But we'll see. They'll probably cut a big promo, but um, we'll get to our overall thoughts on uh, on Raw. I thought this was. Um, <laughs> Like, I know we got the, the the, the like, uh, the formula of evolution, which is, like, a big moment. But, man, uh, this show felt completely flat to me, Steve. Like, it just felt bad. I feel like a lot of it just felt aimless. We really didn't get anything very interesting in the ring. Like, I think probably our best match was maybe that tag match with Booker T and Goldust, which was kind of just a standard solid tag. Didn't feel like a whole lot happened. It just felt like they were killing time a lot. But, um yeah i mean besides the evolution thing it just felt very skippable I, i'd probably give this one like a three and a half out of ten pretty definitely on the the lower end of the raws that i've seen
3: yeah um i agree i went um four out of ten um like you said really besides um besides the you know besides evolutions formation and um the note no, and the um tease of austin um, oh right right there really wasn't you know, like I said, the weather really wasn't much else. I think it's, they're still kind of, um, trying to find their, you know, find their, uh, wheels, um, at least in terms of raw, because I think they have a clear idea in terms of like what they want for SmackDown in terms of WrestleMania, but they're not sure yet what they want to do for the guys on raw. So they're still kind of, um, you know, getting things set up and, you know, move, you know, trying to put the pieces in the right, you know, in the right place. And, um, I think they're on, I think they, I think we, we, Going forward, we'll have a little bit of a bigger idea, like you said, with uh, evolution getting started. Then, when we do see Austin, um, we'll get we get a little clear idea. Um, but as but as a, but yeah, just on this particular night, it just felt like, um, you know, coming off a um, you know the Rumble, it just felt like they were um, spinning their wheels um, for a lot of these mm-hmm.
2: guys. Yeah, it definitely wasn't like it hit the ground running into the Mania build for sure. We'll see. It happens with Raw. At times all right we'll see if Smackdown Could fare better so this will be a Smackdown From Albany uh, Albany New York uh, January 23rd 2003 Uh, Steph opens the show um, From her office and tells us tonight The phenom will return and she has Her own bombshell to drop And stay tuned for a big surprise And as she says big She uh, presses her boobs together towards The screen so little uh, (laughs) Tease by Stephanie there I I just like to think that uh like who is a, I wanna know who was like writing this and I was like, you know, Steph, was it Vince? Was it Heyman? That was like, you know what Stephanie, hey, why don't you press your boobs against uh, each other and put them close to the screen? Um, <laughs> it wouldn't sh- it wouldn't shock me if it was Vince.
3: Yeah, that also sounds like a Heyman thing. If you if you right. know you know, if you know the original ECW, uh,
2: that was right. you, know, you you know how the women were there, so right. <laughs> Stephanie's just so all over the place. Like um, I haven't minded her. I think she's been fine, but it's just every week she could kind of be <laughs> like a different sort of. Kid. Like this week she's like wanting to be like, um, you know, like sexual, and another week she's like kind of a hard ass boss. It's just <laughs> she's she contains multitudes, I guess we'll say, Steve. She's a, many different um, aspects of her personality. Mm. Anyway. All right, so uh, we'll start as we usually do on SmackDown with a match. Their promo to start. We go straight into a match. It's going to be Charlie Haas versus uh, Chris Benoit. Definitely an interesting one on paper. As you continue to kind of throw uh, Team Angle out there and let them get their um, get their feet wet here. So um, they definitely play up in the early going of this match. That like um, that Charlie Haas has to try and like get used to Benoit's pace. Like that he's a little bit taken aback by uh, how intense Benoit is, his power, you know, just his entire energy. Um, lots of cool mat work between this. I mean, obviously, Benoit can do that and Charlie Haas's background. So a lot of struggling for leverage, really well done. Haas going after the hand, slamming on the steps, and that kind of becomes the story of the match, like him working over Benoit's hand, because obviously Benoit needs both hands to be able to do the uh, the crossface. Um, Shelton's out there. He distracts a bit, which allows Haas a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of an advantage too. really getting over Haas is like amateur style here, doing a lot of that, you know, that angle style offense, I'll say, but Benoit finally comes back. He hits his Germans. Uh, he, uh, he hits the flying head, but from long distance, like at least about three quarters of the way across the ring, almost coast to coast. That looks sick. Uh, but Shelton is able to distract long enough to delay the pin that allows Haas to survive a little bit longer. Um, so the weekend uh, screws up the cross face, but um, being the veteran that he is, facing more of a rookie, Benoit is able to use his uh, veteran savvy to win with a uh, roll-up and steal it from uh, Charlie Haas there. But real fun opener, Steve. Like, continues to get team angle over. I mean, Haas looked real good in this match. Uh, Benoit, I mean, just made everybody look good. Like, you're not expecting Haas to win. It did exactly what it should do. Benoit looks good. He picks up the win. But Charlie Haas looks like he kind of held his own against the veteran and kind of you know, they just are doing a good job of bringing us along and establishing, you know, the in-ring. Like, what's going to be, like, the in-ring style of these guys? Like, what's their whole deal that they're going to kind of be tag team partners to distract for each other? So, all that was well done. Um, I ended up going three on this one. I thought this was real good. I liked the um, the work on the hand. was really well done and made sense. Just a, a real fun opener.
3: Absolutely. I, w- I went three and a quarter. I really enjoyed the match. Um This, I mean, Haas was pretty much thrown into the deep end. You know, he's you know pretty much like you're going out there. You know, for nine minutes with Benoit, show us what you got, and he he hung in there with uh, with Benoit, and um, you know, obviously, you know, coming off uh, that great match at the Rumble, um, this was a good way to kind of keep Benoit strong, and um, I like like you said the work on the hand and. um, and, you know, Benoit keep, kept coming back and getting his moves. And then I'd love the finish about how, you know, like Benoit could get the race on because of the hand. So he ends up having to win a different way and he takes advantage of, you know, Haas is and gets, gets the win. So it keeps him, you know, strong, um, coming off that, you know, tough loss at the rumble Haas, you know, looks good and even in losing cause he hung in there for, you know, for when he did you thought maybe he could pull off a big upset and, um, yeah i mean just really great stuff and um the main event scene on smackdown right now is really really good um you got a lot of guys in there um kind of staking their claim and um i think uh, hasa benjamin had been a really great addition so far to um to the smackdown roster um and we'll see that going forward as they kind of become the, the studs of the tag division so great great stuff to uh, open the show
2: yep agree good opener and after this, we see that Taker is here, so this will be Taker. He obviously returned at the Rumble, but he's going to be back on SmackDown. All right, and that leads us into our next match. So, um, not wasting a lot of time getting into the in-ring stuff, we get uh, Rikishi versus Bill Them So uh, maybe not the, the not as enticing as Benoit and Charlie Haas here, uh, Steve, but uh, this is a <laughs> kind of built as a tough enough finale hype match because. Obviously, DeMott has the ties to uh, to tough enough. Uh, the clubs. He did a lot of screaming in this match. Some uh, <laughs> very iron Mike Sharpish here from uh, Bill Demott with all his screaming. <laughs> um, he uh, he uh, Rikishi works an armbar though. We get more Demott screaming. Uh, screams on both offense and defense. Uh, Rikishi just continues to own him though, and he kind of beats him pretty handily with the rump shaker. I was shocked because we've been getting this little Demott mini push, but I thought besides Demott in the early going, I mean, Rikishi kind of just came back and crushed him, you know, um, literally and figuratively in the end of the match. But uh, yeah, I, I believe Demott won the um, the last battle between these, so uh. Uh, yeah, I don't know if a 50-50 feud, like uh, 50-50 booking Rikishi and Bill DeMott in 2003 is maybe not the most uh, the most engaging television here. I ended up going a star because to me it was almost like the pseudo-squash for Rikishi, honestly.
3: Yeah, I went three-quarters of a star. It's Again, I think this uh, pretty much almost signifies that um, DeMott's little push here is over. If he's if he's jobbing clean to uh, Rikishi, especially after beating him uh, prior to the Rumble. Um mm-hmm. Again, Rikishi, kind of like D-Lo, just feels so uh, so out of place. Yet he's getting, you know, still getting pushed for some reason. Still getting, you know, these wins. Um, I mean, if anything, he's you know kind of kind of got this little spot here in the like the undercard. He's not in a title picture or you know he's not in anything like significant. He's at least kind of like almost like one of the gatekeepers of the undercard, um, which is a you know fine role for him at this point. But. Um, <laughs> You know, considering all the the hype that they give into Demont, you know, as the year ended, going to the you know the beginning of the year, uh, now that tough enough's over, it seems like uh, his push is probably going to be uh, the same direction as well.
2: Right, I think he, I think uh, he's being usurped by another large man that they randomly started pushing. That maybe. Um, Maybe they decided there's only room for one big giant – one big <laughs> wide dude to get pushed or something. Because, yeah, if, you, if you're not – Rikishi definitely the gatekeeper. If, you, if you're not getting past Rikishi, you're – it's like being stuck at, like, the first level of video game. Like, you're not going any further if you can't get right. past Rikishi. <laughs> um anyway all right we get a nathan jones uh vignette here that he's breaking down law and order in the queensland and i've i've talked about it uh, kind of like the sean harrow we're getting a lot of these now and they're pretty similar but i kind of dig the style of these nathan jones ones like the uh sort of the grittiness of it with the uh the broadcasters and stuff i kind of like the whole vibe they're going forward this it does make him seem like um kind of scary which i enjoy yeah,
3: I agree. I mean, they're, you know, playing up the fact that he, you know, spent, you know, spent time in prison and that he, you know, was so, you know, that he just, you know, paid his debt. Now he's, you know, coming in. And I mean, he just looks like, you know, a guy that um would, you know, would be a good Vince look. He's, you know, big jacked. He's obviously, you know, he's, he's obviously, you know, he's tough because he's, you know, survived, you know, that long of a time in prison. So, I, I think on, on just on paper, he has everything that they're looking for in a potential, um, in a potential superstar.
2: Right. Yeah. It's good promos. We'll see when he debuts might be a different story, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, uh, we now head backstage to Josh Matthews. Who's looking to speak with a very slick dress. It's the best big shows had uh, been dressed in a long time. Uh, yes, on a semi decent looking little suit on here, but, uh, talking on his flip phone. Uh, but, um, Josh Matthews brings up the last time Taker was here. uh, Big Show threw Taker off the stage and put him on the shelf for three months. Um, Rather than give any kind of verbal response, he just grabs Josh Matthews by the head and sees and then kind of walks away. But uh, um, if anything, it just showed um, God over, like they always say, how gigantic his hands are because his hands just like engulf Josh Matthews and his little frosted tip hairdo.
3: (laughs) Yeah, although that was kind of – it was kind of – awkward at least he's just like he just grabs it right. like does this like deep breathing and just kind of like lets him go it's like it's just it's just like really uh, just felt really awkward
2: right it's like he he kind of like at times he just turns into an actual giant sometimes like like he just acts like an ogre or something <laughs> That's right what he did here um anyway i don't know we'll see what happens with the whole show all right we now go to matt hardy backstage he's lecturing his little mf for shannon more and he says that he needs some more matitude uh, out of Shannon Moore because at the Rumble he did help him out a little bit, but when it really mattered, when Matt got F five out of the ring, he did not catch him on the elimination. Just an absurd <laughs> assertion <laughs> by Matt Hardy, like that Shannon Moore was supposed to catch him when he got F five and throw him back in. But um, he tells Shannon that he still has many more matitude lessons to uh, many more lessons to learn. And tonight. He needs to beat Nunzio to prove that he is a true mf uh, But after Shannon leaves, we find out that Matt um, is speaking with Nunzio, and he actually tells Nunzio that he wants him to teach him a lesson. And we go into this whole thing with Nunzio, where Nunzio kind of gives this little anecdote about, um, he compares it to his nephew who kept screwing up. He's like, my nephew. He kept screwing up over and over and over again. But you know what I did? I took him out, and I taught him the family way, and he never screwed up again. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a, <laughs> I was not expecting Nuncio to give this entire little story about his nephew and stuff here. But it was effective. It made it seem like he was going to fuck Shannon Moore up. So, I mean, it was effective in that way. But it just shows how kind of skeezy Matt Hardy is here.
3: Yeah, I, I, love, I like yeah him ringing, rail, railing on Moore there, even though Moore did more than enough at, um, at the <laughs> Rumble. Right. But honestly, Matt should be thankful that um team angle was there basically to catch him on that f5 otherwise you know it would have been really disastrous um so maybe he should be a little bit more grateful then yeah this whole like you know nunzio story um it's kind of funny because it seems like they've already kind of dropped the whole like him and jamie noble being cousins and now like now all of a sudden he's become almost kind of like this um this like goomba for hire um and we're kind of seeing like the little um he's kinda of like reverting back to what he was back um back at ECW with the FBI. So it's just kind of uh, kind of weird that um you know they brought him in as Noble's um uh, as Jamie Noble's cousin and now that's that angle's been like just dropped out of nowhere. Now Nunzio is becoming like um you know, this like uh, this paid um paid um hired goon for uh, for guys.
2: Yeah. It's just so random that he went on that whole like <laughs> to Matt Hardy about his nephew and stuff. It was just so out of nowhere. All right. All right. We hear now that we're going to have Angle and Ray later tonight. That will be our main event. So big match there. But we now get the uh, in-ring return. Not the in-ring return, but the um, the smackdown return of Taker. He heads down the ring for a promo. He says uh, just some kind of normal biker Taker stuff. He's been sitting at home thinking of ass kicking. Uh, but his main point is that he wants revenge on the Big Show for putting them on the shelf, which then has Big Show come down to confront him and he reveals that he could come down there and beat up undertaker but instead he's going to rely on his contingency plan the a train and he sends a train out to face uh taker and uh, a train was extremely oiled here. the train the train was well lubricated cuz he was he was just glistening <laughs> good lord insane um but yeah before we get to any thoughts on the taker it was just kind of normal taker doing his um biker like you know just talking himself up that he's a badass he wants to kick people's ass etc etc
3: yeah face you know pretty basic stuff here you know he and um he and show are now gonna probably go into a feud you figure they have uh, probably something for the two of them set up for either no way out or even for mania um so yeah just again basic stuff there and again show being the uh the typical of like, oh, I could come down there if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna have somebody else do the dirty work for me. Um, so yeah, and yeah, freaking H uh, train was uh, glistening with, with all that uh, that oil <laughs> and, on. It was like he was trying to overcompensate for all the for all the for all the hair he had all over his body.
2: Right. It, it is strange to see one see someone that hairy oiled up. It doesn't seem like <laughs> usually it's like um, the people who are oiled up are usually. <laughs> well waxed in hair, right? It's odd to see a man completely covered in hair and also oiled to the T. Yeah, strange. But um, we go into our impromptu match here. It is also strange, like it's a weird dynamic to have, like someone who's like a giant have like a lackey do his dirty work. It's it's a weird, <laughs> like you, know, you usually think of like a little guy getting the bigger guy to be like his goon, but. You know, Whatever. Um So we, we start the match train strategy. Of this is to kind of keep his hands on Taker, kind of restrict Taker's movement. So Taker can't like get any momentum or get things going. Um, but then Taker just takes over and controls. And this was this is like 100 percent like Taker's first match, you know, first singles match back let him come in, hit all his signature stuff, reestablish himself. Like he does the apron leg drop. He does old school, um, but he does do the choke slam and a train survives it. So big spot there for um, a train. Um, he hits the derailer on, uh, on, uh, on taker, which was the, um, the old baldo bomb. But even Taz kind of buries the baldo bomb. He's like, he's not uh, doing whatever that thing. He used to call it the, the bald bomb or whatever. <laughs> like Taz hmm. just completely buries the old name of it. But, uh, Taker ends up ending it with a submit with um, with his new submission. It's like a rear choke, and they call it the taking care of business, which I thought it looked pretty good, but um, like a. Uh, rear choke submission but i thought the name i feel I like that name's a bit clunky for me taking care of business a little too wordy for a uh, a finisher but uh i thought it was decent energy i thought it was a good return for taker to reestablish himself i liked his different finishes really starting to see like some mild shades of where you know what we're going to eventually get to in the future of like mma taker you're starting to see that like here with him finishing with the submission hold but i, I like the energy of this one i thought taker looked good you know at least train got to survive the choke slam. So they're putting him over a little bit. So I just went two. I thought it was fine.
3: Yeah, I went, um, uh, one and three quarters. Like I said, just kind of there to, um, get Taker reestablished, um, back in, um, after being gone for those few months, um, a train looked pretty decent, you know, after the good little run, he had the rumble, he gets a good little showing here against Taker. And, um, and yeah, kind of funny now, we kind of see Taker kind of start incorporating the submissions into his um, into his arsenal with the, you know, using the Dragon Sleeper to win. Um, so, like I said, basic stuff all around here. Just kind of, again, kind of moving things along because, like I said, the uh, we know the uh, eventual endgame will be Taker and Show.
2: Right. All right. We get another Sean O'Hara promo, but this time, um, similar vibe, but now instead of going after Church, He's after the government and taxes, and it's all about him saying, like, why would you pay taxes? I mean, why would you just keep that money? Uncle Sam doesn't need your money. So it seems his character is just going after any institution, I guess, that has power, I guess, seems to be the thing. I don't know.
3: <laughs> Probably would get over it uh, <laughs> this day and age you know, with, <laughs> with the way things are going.
2: So Right. <laughs> early uh, early anti-establishment uh, Sean O'Hara anyway yeah. all right all right so we talked about him twice we'll keep rolling all right um we'll go to our next match which kind of mirrors our opener here as we had a uh, benoit and haas to begin uh, to open the show and now we're going to edge versus shelton so again uh the other half of team, team angle going into another match against a real prominent smackdown star here and, and it makes sense you know i i like that too in that you know, it would be fine if they just threw these guys in there because it's a good match and it's establishing Shelton and all. But storyline-wise, it does kind of make sense. It's These are two guys that have had issues with Angle. So it's like they're having matches against, you know, Angle's sort of enemies. So it kind of makes sense in that way, too. There is some logic to it, which I like. Um, but um, we saw a lot of hard-hitting strikes from both guys. Um, like um benjamin looks real good here he hit some good strikes that bow and arrow submission he does on the ring post was like really sick um but same thing right just like we saw at haas like really getting over that these guys are like are great athletes that they can go in the ring that they have this you know they have a repertoire of uh of impressive moves that they do this kind of same sort of mat work that you know ben uh sorry that you know angle does but uh Uh, Just like in the first match, though, we see, like, rookie mistakes here. It's like Shelton, he has Edge kind of in control. He starts to get cocky, and so Edge makes him pay. But Shelton quickly comes back on him. So, again, he continues to impress Good job getting these guys over, like right here. Instead of just Edge completely taking over, he does kind of pay for being cocky, but he takes control. Shelton does, like, really quickly, again, which I thought was good. But uh, great work on the submissions in this match. Like, all of Shelton's holds I thought looked really good and snug. But uh, Edge finally makes his legitimate comeback here with his, uh, he hits a bunch of flapjacks with a sort of, uh, one of Edge's signature moves. Uh, Shelton actually leapfrogs the spear, which I thought was a really good spot. Haas, uh, just like Benjamin did from earlier, caused a slight distraction. Uh, Shelton comes out of the corner thinking that he's going to make a, um, make a comeback. But just like his partner did earlier, he has made a mistake because Edge hits the spear out of nowhere, which I thought was a really good finish. I like that. I like how they kind of teased a, a pretty straightforward ending with the spear earlier and Shelton avoided it. And then Edge kind of takes him off guard again, sort of, pushing that the veterans are taking advantage of these rookies being inexperienced and not looking out for things. But yeah, good stuff. Nice pace, good comebacks by uh, Edge. And uh, like you said earlier, Steve, Team Angle are just proving to be like a great addition to the show, just coming in and putting on these good matches with these uh, already established stars. So I actually like this one a tick more. I went three and a quarter on this one.
3: Oh wow! <laughs> mm-hmm. I went. Um, I went two and a half. I had a slightly below the Benoit Haas match, but um, but it was mm-hmm. still really, really good stuff. Um, it, I love this. Like you said, the good story here, you know, because you got Benoit and Edge, who are both, you know, gunning for Angle's title, and Angle's, you know, brought these two guys in as kind of like his reinforcements. And, um, you know, again, they didn't, you know, they're not disappointing in the ring. Shelton looks really smooth. He's, you know, crisp, um, edge kept, you know, edge, you know, played a, played him up, played well into his offense. Um, great, you know, little comebacks, comebacks there. Um, one of my favorite moves that Benjamin always did was that, um, that, uh, when the guy, you know, he goes for the kick, the guy catches it, then he like spins around, but then he hits the spin kick. Um, always hit that move very fluidly. I really always enjoyed that. But like you said, again, you know, edge taking advantage of their, uh, of the uh, rookie, rookie um, essence of that, of Benjamin and hitting this, you know, getting the win. I really like how um, they established team angle here in two singles matches and not just an attack match um, to kind of show that both guys could work as singles guys, even though they're just as, you know, even, you know, even better in an attack setting. And um, yeah, it's like, like you said, you know, you got the, these veterans, the veterans, you know, are one step ahead of the rookies and um it you know plays up for what happens, uh for what happens later in the show. So uh really good stuff here. Good showings by both Haas and Benjamin, uh showing that they could both be uh future players.
2: Yeah, for sure. They look great. And I, and I like this. Um, so we go backstage right after the match, and I like this segment too, because you get so they both lose, so angle's like scolding them. They're sitting on the it's sitting on the bench in the locker room. And uh, it's very much like a coach. Uh, Chewing out the team here Like a coach team dynamic Where he's like lecturing them on the three I's uh, Saying that Haas had no intensity In his match, Shelton did not show any Intelligence when he let, I like how he says You didn't have intelligence when you let Edge Spear (laughs) Like you just let him Like just kind of, that kind of subtle Angle uh, dickishness But uh, like just gets on them about Wanting them to take care of business And I like that too, like it makes sense for the way This team's constructed, you know Given all their backgrounds that he would treat them like he's the coach and they his team. And I mean, they are called team angle. So I thought this is a cool dynamic, but he, and then he pretty much says like, he's going to show them, you know, what it's, you know, how things are really supposed to go when he faces right at night and teach them how to take care of business. So yeah, I it was solid stuff here.
3: Oh, absolutely. I love, I love the, the um, analogy there of like angle being the coach to these two young guys and, you know, and he's like chewing them out thinking, you know, because that he's, you know, mentoring them that they should immediately pick up on everything he does. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. I mean, they're gonna, they're rookies they are gonna make mistakes every now and then. And he's, um, you know, he, he, can, but he can't, you know, he figures, you know, you're, they're under his watch. So they've got to be perfect all the time. And, um, yeah, really great promo there by, by Kurt. And, um, like you said, kind of telling them that, you know, he's going to go alone and show them how it's done. So great stuff there.
2: All right. So our next match is going to be uh Shannon Moore versus Nunzio. Um, in, uh, which was set up earlier where I guess we should expect to see Nunzio trying to punish Shannon more. No entrances. this gets like the um, kind of the jobber treatment a little bit as they neither one gets in to go straight to the match. Uh, Maz watching on the outside uh, uh, watching Shannon on the outside with some delight as Nunzio starts to batter the arm. Obviously that's kind of Nunzio's MO because his finisher focuses on the arm. He hits the uh, Sicilian slice as Taz tells us it is, which is kind of like a, uh, a top rope Famouser. Uh, Cole and Taz debate why Shannon follows Matt. Taz says he does it because he respects him. Cole is saying that he needs to um, break away from Matt. So maybe sowing the seeds of like a face Shannon more breaking away, um, you know, no longer being an M.F.R. But uh, Shannon goes for the twist of fate here, but Nunzio reverses to the um, his finisher, the uh, Arrivederci, which is like a springboard, like a single-arm DDT, which is a real sick finisher. I enjoy it. Um, I like a lot of Nunzio's in-ring stuff. Uh, he has some cool moves, but a uh, fun little sprint. It was definitely much more about the Matt and Shannon stuff than it was about the match, but I thought Nunzio looked pretty good, and it told the story that they were trying to um, tell. And I should mention, too, they kind of get over on commentary that um, – the reason Shannon lost is because he's worried about doing the twist of fate to impress Matt, even though that's not necessarily his move and he's not a pro. Like, he's not the best at, at performing that maneuver, and that's, like, kind of why he loses. So um, I went star and a half on it. Shannon runs in fear away from Matt Hardy um, for fear that uh, Matt's going to beat him up out of, out of disappointment. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I want to start. It was fine stuff for what it was. Both guys showed off some good uh, cruiserweight moves. Um, yeah, Nunzio I think is pretty um, underrated as a worker. Um, he's got some good, you know, good moves. The Sicilian slice and then that the finisher of the uh, the river the river Derci. Um <laughs> And yeah, like. The, like you said, the whole point of it was like more trying to impress uh, Matt and even to the point that he tried to use the twist of fate, and that's what caused him in the end. And what's funny about it is like after Matt chased um, Shannon up the ramp, he went back in the ring. I thought for sure he was going to, um, you know, take out, you know, he was going to like feign Nunzio with the, with a handshake and then take him up with the twist of fate. But then, um, but instead he, they just shook hands and he walked away and Nunzio kind of got, um, got to stand tall. So I that kind of threw me off for a second. Cause I thought for sure that was going to be where like um, where Hardy, you know, pulled the dick move, um, giving him the twist of fate. But instead he, you know, he let him, he basically like, you know, thanked him for a job well done. So kind of interesting stuff there, but yeah, like you said, nothing much here, just kind of give Nunzio a win and continue
2: the whole Matt and uh, Shannon uh, issues. Right. Uh, I think I mentioned this before on here, but um, SmackDown is like a heavy theme of like um, <laughs> like guys and their underlings kind of like you have Matt and Shannon and then Team Angle. It's a very um, uh, even like a big shot, I guess, H. train They're kind of setting that dynamic up that way, too. But like a hierarchy of these guys that have like their posses where like there's like the head guy and then the underlings. But anyway. Alright, so we go to our, um, this is interesting We get a pre tape rock promo Where it's just like one of these deals where he's sitting in a chair With like a black background um, He says that he's goal oriented His first goal is an NCAA title, he did that He wanted to make an impact after Mania He did that, he wanted to become king of the ring He did that, he wanted to beat the rock For the WWE title, he did that but then he was betrayed by Paul Heyman at the Survivor Series and he was beaten by Big Show. So his new goals are to F5 Paul Heyman and then to beat Kurt Angle for the WWE title. And that's kind of a very straightforward promo, just kind of saying it up like he's... um. So it, th- to me, it was interesting, like definitely they're kind of pivoting Brock here as he's turn face. And especially going into this mania thing, they're, they're trying to like humanize him a lot more. I mean, in here, And not necessarily like make him vulnerable, but, vulnerable, but much more like, um, how do you say it? Like he's like an athlete with like these goals that he's trying to go across. Really moving away from the whole like that he's a beast and like a monster and all this stuff. And just more that like he's this dominant athlete. Um, and I, I think it could work based on the tone they're going for and the fact that he's facing angle and just kind of what they're doing on SmackDown. But it definitely is a notable pivot for Brock from where he started as a heel. And even, you know, going back to, like, him with uh, Undertaker standing on the cage like he was King Kong on top of the building, they definitely, like, bring him a little bit more down to earth. I don't know. How, how do you feel about it? Do you think that works for Brock, Steve? <sighs>
3: Like if we're talking now, nowadays, Mm -hmm. I think it does. I mean, because we I mean, that's a jump ahead, but we obviously see, you know, modern day Brock Lesnar, that he does have a lot of charisma and can be very, you know, funny and act like a normal person. But at the time here in 03, you know, it was kind of weird seeing him because we had been so used to see him as this dominant monster just plowing through everybody now to kind of see him you know, have these like, you know, this sit down interview and he's talking about like his goals and like how he, you know, and everything mm-hmm. he's done and what he plans to do. It does feel kind of, you know, out of place almost for him. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do get what they're going for. You know, he's, you know, he's had all, you know, what they're trying to do with him. And I li- I do kind of like that he, I mean, I felt it was a bit weird that he wasn't there in person, that they just did this pre-taped promo, but um, in a way it worked because it put a lot more focus on uh, some of the other guys on there. Cause you knew, cause we know what the, the, again, what the end game is, it's going to be him and Kurt at mania. So, you know, let's let, um, let's, um let's, you know, some of these other guys kind of get a little shine here. Well, um, while you know, before we kind of put all the heavy focus between uh, between Brock and Kurt. So, you know, it is a, it was a good promo, um, like you said, like I said, um, kind of putting over like what his ultimate goals are. But at that time, in know, three, it just felt like very out of place for for Brock to kind of go from being this like unstoppable dominant force to now just being like, an you know, you know, just another another guy who just happened to be a great, uh, you know, amateur wrestler that is such that can also like dominate people.
2: Right. It is, it's a, yeah, I think the danger with it is that you run the risk of him not feeling like a, um, a larger in life character. Like, I think you can make him feel little, because, I mean, it's obviously what they're going for is like this, um, like almost like a um, like a football player or something being interviewed like before the season or something like that, and um, I think that could work, but it is weird. It is a weird pivot. We'll we'll see how it goes. And it, you know, the way this goes, sometimes this might be one promo, and then he'll come out on SmackDown and like be, you know, stand on the top rope like beating his chest. So who knows? But it was it was definitely a, a bit jarring. But I don't. I'm not saying it couldn't work, but um, it definitely was different. All right, we see uh, we see Shannon Moore. Uh, Hiding in a trunk uh, as Matt's chasing him, so Shannon trying to escape here. Um, <laughs> and, then sits, and
3: then Matt sits. And then sits on it briefly, not knowing he's in there.
2: <laughs> right. All right, but that brings us already to our main event here on SmackDown that we uh, we talked about earlier. It's going to be Ray versus Kurt, and Kurt comes out with Paul Heyman. Uh, Taz makes a uh, dig as to why. Uh, or I think it was Taz or Cole, but asked why Heyman's not in the uh, in the sweatsuits like the rest of the team angle, which I thought was kind of funny. But, uh, <laughs> you imagine also him m- in one of those track suits right he would look like um he would definitely look like a um like a sopranos character or something right <laughs> but anyway uh there's another funny moment too where they mentioned that they're going to be in green bay next week and taz says something like yes on the frozen tundra and then cole's like well taz we're not going to be on at lambo field we're going to be at the arena <laughs> which yes. I think is kind of funny but, um, yeah, obviously these two guys have excellent chemistry. They've had some bangers before the SummerSlam match was kind of a classic, but, uh, uh after an early Ray flurry angle, just hammers them with shots. Um, just, you know, real typical hard hitting, um, angle offense with the suplexes, uh, particularly, I took note of the German, like he just spikes Ray's head on that German real hard. I mean, obviously uh Ray selling is awesome also, but, um, Ray fires up with his typical great flurry of just out of control moves, not out of control in a bad battle. it's a bad way of putting it, but just like insane. Like you never know what move Ray's gonna pull out next. Um, but I thought this was kind of goofy. Like Brian Hebner blocks Ray from doing a dive to the outside, which I thought was kind of stupid. But it did set up a cool spot where he goes to check on angle, so Ray just dives over him, which was kind of funny. Um, but he misses a springboard and angle just goes for the kill, goes straight for the ankle lock. Ray breaks out of that. Um, we we'll get the straps down by angle so you know that he's going for the finish but Ray is able to maneuver himself into a 619 position angle catches him on the uh, 619 almost like cradling like a baby and just the reversal sequences I mean especially we have Ray in there it's just I'm not going to go move for move because honestly I couldn't tell you half of what he's doing but the reversal sequences in this are just so good like so fluid and I find they're so interesting because like when Ray does these kind of reversal sequences, I mean, typically, sometimes you'll see, like, okay, if you do a superplex and one guy's not getting it, you know, the other guy's going to reverse and suplex him. When Ray's doing these reversals, like, you have no idea where it's going to lead to. Like, he's up on angle shoulders, then he's shimmying down his uh, waist. Like, it's just all over the place, and it's, like, it just keeps you so engaged to see what he's going to actually do next. But um, Ray goes for the West Coast pop and just drops him on the turnbuckle and wins him. So they kind of they uh, frame it as sort of a knockout shot where he kind of almost, like, snake eyes him on the uh, – on the corner and that kind of knocks Ray out and angle gets the pin, but yeah, killer match. You would not expect anything less from them. And I thought it was cool. I thought it was a cool finish. Um, we've gotten a couple times on this show that I've kind of dug where guys are winning in ways that like make sense and feel worthy of a finish, but they're not winning with their finishers. Like we saw Benoit with the roll up now here angle, like drops and knocks Ray out on the corner, which I thought was a cool spot. So kind of keeping the matches um, interesting by not, always having every guy win with their finisher and kind of doing a paint by numbers, which I appreciate. But, uh, three and a half for me, Steve, this is uh, a banger of a main event.
3: Absolutely. I went, um, three and a quarter. Um, these two just have such amazing chemistry. It's, it's just unreal. Um, they just, you know, move so fast and is you know, on par with everything and, and Kurt's just such a machine and, you know, counter after counter, it's just, you know, You know, it's like so hard to keep up with everything just without faster going. And I like that, um, that angle did get a clean win, um, kind of, you know, proved to prove his points to team angle earlier, and he did it on his own. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Paul Paul didn't get involved or anything. And, um, obviously the loss, you know, doesn't hurt Ray. He hung in there, um, kept, you know, kept, um, kept up with Kurt and almost, you know, looked like he was going to beat him a couple times. And, Again, like I said, you know, you got this—you know—this main event scene on SmackDown is just so hot with Kurt and and Ray, Benoit, Edge, Brock, Team Angle. I mean, SmackDown is just like rocking on all cylinders right now. I mean, if if I'm Heyman at ringside, I'm just you know giddy as a you know giddy as a schoolgirl, knowing what I've got to work with, especially going into WrestleMania.
2: Right, and and, and like we kind of dragged raw for like the lack of focus. I feel like. I think on the surface you could look at SmackDown and say, well, they're just throwing these guys out and having good matches, but they are focused. Like we said earlier, like this kind of culminates this little mini, little mini story they had on this of like his two kind of rookies losing their matches and him saying, Hey, look, this is how you take care of business. And he comes in and does what he says he was going to do and takes care of business. So it kind of is building up that whole dynamic with team angle. Like even, even, lower key guys like i mean even if the shannon Moore, Matt hardy stuff is not like groundbreaking or anything they do kind of progress it each week a little bit like they don't just try them out there and do whatever they are at least building it somewhat just smackdown always seems to have a bit more focus even when they're more like low-key storylines there's at least something that you feel like things are moving with some like forward momentum
3: Mm-hmm definitely
2: so, uh, yep. Uh, but after the match, Angle wants to continue the beating, but uh, Edge comes in for the save, and uh, Benoit catches him on the ramp, uh, and they kind of double team and kind of beat his ass. I was kind of wondering where Team Angle was during this. I know Angle told him to to stay in the back, but uh, maybe next week they're going to get an ass chewing for not coming right. and saving him here because like right. he just gets wrecked. He just gets wrecked. Yeah, he pretty much
3: takes all the takes all the you know everyone's you know finisher. Um, pretty much, and yeah, like you said, you're kind of wondering yourself, like, where is Team Angle? Like, I know he said stay, stay behind her, you know, don't come out during the match. But the match is over. It's like, you know, it's like, go out there and help your, help your guy.
2: It was odd. It, it was, it felt almost like a heel beatdown the way it was. It, it was a, it was a bit of a strange way to end it. Like, because it's not like you got to make Benoit and Edge look strong. I mean, they won their matches. I mean, I guess you want to pop the crowd a little bit, but you have something else that's gonna pop them in a minute. So. I was kind of thought that was a bit odd to have that as like a way of a av- post match, just them <laughs> beating angle down, but whatever. It could just be to set up him being pissed off at team angle. Who knows? All right. We go to number one announcer, Funaki It's in the Stephanie's office to find out what the big surprise is. What is Stephanie's bombshell? And she says it's not a what it's a who. And then she kind of shoes Funaki out the door and just before we hit to commercial the camera just so happens to zoom in on a hulk hogan poster so uh not the most subtle um, foreshadowing there by uh them
3: and so yeah you that
2: kind of guess, <laughs> right yeah uh,
3: that was kind of uh almost kind of you know i guess maybe it was one of those things where it's like um where it's like you tease it a bit to where they get you know a little more viewers there coming out of the commercial where people are calling you. It's like hey i think you know hey you know Hogan might be showing up, you know, you might want to tune in. So kind of a interesting tack there they took
2: with that. Right. They definitely want you to tune in for this last segment. So, And uh, sure enough, like you would think, out comes Hulk Hogan in the red and yellow, full face Hulk Hogan. And a lot of the first, like, I mean, this went on for a while, but he just soaks in the crowd for like a few minutes. It was a good, like. Three or four minutes with the point where i was just kind of looking around like, all right, <laughs> I mean, uh, we're getting to the end of the show. But uh, he finally reveals that he has a new contract, kind of just announces his return. Um, he says he has business to take care of. He's going to do it the right way, red and yellow. So really just making sure that everyone is clear that he's continuing with kind of the face Hogan run that he did when he left off. Just kind of a lot of rah-rah Hogan stuff with the fans, getting the fans fully behind him. Until we hear no chance in hell, and here is Vince. Um, Vince comes out, and he is not amused by any of this. He says he is very disappointed in Stephanie for having this be the bombshell. He says it's 2003, not 1985, and Hulkamania, like Al Wilson, is dead. <laughs> that was good. He gets a big asshole chant for that. And um, um, Hogan fires back and says that the first person that he wants to beat up in his return is Vince. Vince says, "Who the hell do you think you are?" He said he doesn't answer to anybody. He doesn't. He doesn't even answer. He doesn't answer to anyone. He doesn't even answer to God. Basically, he doesn't answer to the man upstairs. He says so. Just full on like uh, you know, megalomaniac uh, Vince here, which is fantastic. Especially yeah, ha- he hasn't been on really in a while, and he comes in. And he's just firing all cylinders like maniac Vince. It's really good, but um, of course, um, Hogan responds to that by dropping him with a right hand and hogan kind of heads out after that he gets a huge pop from the crowd and obviously we look like we are setting in motion some kind of uh hulk hogan vince mcmahon feud which is a huge again we got the austin announcement on raw and now we get this like um that hogan and vince are going to be at it so you know another i think both gms paid off on their promises of a bombshell and um I think this really works well on SmackDown, Steve, because like we mentioned, most of what they have going on are these very like wrestling driven storylines that are really based on the in-ring stuff. So I don't think it hurts them to have this, which I I think we can agree. It's probably not going to be about having a Mac classic. It's going to be much more of a insane Vince kind of sports entertainment thing. So I think it's a kind of cool change. I think it could work as a good change of pace if they continue with this on SmackDown.
3: Mm hmm. Yeah, this was big. I mean, um, we, you know, we hadn't seen Hogan since last August when Brock took him out and, you know, he comes out here. It's funny. They show him like, you know, they show the, when they showed the poster was still of him, like in this 2002 look with the, you know, with the black stubble and all that stuff. But he comes out here and he's just got the, the, he's pretty much a skewed all the Hollywood stuff. He's got only the, the bar and, um, and all that. And I mean, yeah, like, like the pot, the, the, you know the ovation he gets. It goes right through the commercial. I mean, they come back. They're still, you know, they they're cheering him. They go to commercial. They come back. They're still cheering him. And I mean, I think he, um, you could tell he was like really, um, it really moved him that they still, you know, the this they still, you know, cared about him that much. And then he goes into you know, you know, matcha. He has a new contract. He's got you know, he he does tease that this might be his last hurrah and he's going to go out on a high note. And Then like I said, Vince comes down. He's full. Like megalomaniac, you know, uh, the, like the Hulkamania and Al Wilson have one thing in common. They're both dead. Uh, <laughs> that was a great line. And, you know, pre, you know, predating his um, feud with God in, in three years, you know, when he says he doesn't answer to <laughs> right. the big man upstairs. But it's <laughs> but it's kind of weird that, um, you know, he he was on Raw not that long ago, you know, kind of calling Bischoff out, um, you know, telling him to you know, shake things up, you know, kind of playing the face there. Now here he is clearly as the heel against Hogan. Uh, kind of, you know, just a little bit weird. and then you know, Hogan gets the first shot salvo in with the punch. And, um, you know, again, you know, we seem like we're building something here. I mean, you know, they were, they, you know, it's funny. The dirt sheets were teasing this last summer that we were going to get this feud with Vincent Hogan for SummerSlam of '02, 2 And now it looks like we're finally going to be getting it, but it looks like it's going to be for Mania. Um, they, you know, held off on it a little bit, but um, yeah, some good stuff here to kind of close out the show. Um, it is, you know, pretty big week, you know, Teasing mm-hmm. Austin on Raw. Now we get Hogan back. Um, we got Vince, you know, coming back as a full-time character. Um, you know, lots of big stuff going on this week And, You know, we're starting to, starting to get our ducks in a row for what's going to be uh, what's shaping up to be a pretty uh, pretty big mania.
2: Right, and I think the Hogan Vince stuff is so it's such a compelling feud because there's just so many angles that they can take with it. Like there's so much baked in history um, from like. You know, obviously Hulkamania and WWF and then, you know, Hogan leaving. You have so much real-life built-in stuff there that they can build off of. There's just so much – what do you say? There's so much meat on the bone for them, for that feud. So it makes you kind of like – you know, at the time, for sure. I mean, you would have been like, holy shit, we're getting like a Vince Hogan feud. This is going to be insane. And it will be fun week to week because, again, I haven't haven't gotten a whole lot in the past – you know, good while doing the pod, getting a lot of Vince stuff. So to have Vince coming here, going full Vince, saying he doesn't answer to God and all this stuff, I'm just, I'm ready. I'm ready for some insane Vince. I'm ready to cover some some crazy Vince here. But yeah, big ending to the show. What's been I thought a, a very good SmackDown as we get into our um, our overall grade here. I thought it was a good one because I feel like you got a, uh, a, a good bit of everything on this. So you got good matches, good angle progression, um like you get the fun closing angle, a uh, big mom with Hogan's return and Vince's return and um, moved at a good pace. Like SmackDown does, it was focused. So I actually ended up going, you know, seven out of 10, because to me, this is a very good SmackDown, um, multiple, very good matches and a good closing angle.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Seven out of 10 for me as well. Um, yeah. Three really good matches kind of anchoring the show. Um, yeah. Takers return Hogan's return, um, setting up a lot of things. Um, yeah, SmackDown's just been on a really good tear um, here. And you know that they're um, going to want to come out of firing and, you know, have the, uh, you know, when it comes to Mania, they're going to want their matches to be the ones that everybody remembers.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, yep, definitely hit the ground running for SmackDown, much more so than Raw. But, um, yeah, kind of a big week to set things in motion. We'll uh, But we'll get to our awards here, Steve. Uh, best match at uh, Angle Ray would have been mine.
3: I um, I gave it to Haas and Benjamin. Um, I had both mm-hmm. that and Ray Angle at three and a quarter. Um, so I, I think uh, I expected Ray and Angle to have a good match. I wasn't sure what to expect with Benjamin and I mean, uh, Benoit and Haas. So I think um, them having the match they did um, put it over the edge for me.
2: Yep, a lot of good candidates on SmackDown. Uh, best moment, I'm gonna have to go with the the Vince Hogan moment. I guess like specifically Hogan punching him, but just Hogan's return, getting the the crowd reaction, Vince confronting him. That just that whole closing SmackDown segment.
3: Yeah, I agree. Hogan Hogan's return easily.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, best show SmackDown by a long shot.
3: Not even close. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, LVP. I'm gonna go with Morley. I just think for. The position that he's given, like I, I meant I went through it early. I just don't think he's very compelling.
3: Yeah, he's he's a good choice. I went with Delo um, just because, again, mm-hmm. he looks he just looks um cooked. He's way he past his expiration date, and they're trying to do this whole like you know this this uh, whole angle with him and Teddy, and it just feels like you know the angle itself could work. It's just Delo's the wrong guy to do it with.
2: Go ahead. Um MVP. This is a tough one. I, I went Kurt just because he had the the killer match and just, he feels like such an alpha dog right now with his, with team angle and the title and Heyman and, you know, kind of being the stalwart of SmackDown right now.
3: Oh yeah. I went, I went Kurt as well with Kurt as well. He is, he's the ace right now on SmackDown. He's in the spot that I think we all wanted him to be.
2: Right. Um, some other standouts. I think a few of these so far top five stand out um, edge for sure. And Benoit and then team angle for all those matches, um, I did Ray for sure because I thought he was killer in that main event and I'm also going to go with Vince because I think he can give it to Hogan too but I just think Vince I like I think Hogan coming out and doing his like you know little Hogan promo to the crowd but I think Vince coming out and healing off is really like gave that its juice so I'm going to go with Vince maybe I'm just a sucker for Vince. <laughs>
3: um, I step in line with you, uh, with those, my five Benoit edge Ray and team angle, um, they were the, the alpha, du- the alphas on that, sh- on, uh, the show, um, putting themselves, you know, putting on good matches, giving um, getting the crowd amped up. Um, especially since, uh, when you think about, um, that show, it seems like, uh, you remember Hogan's day, Hogan's return in the beginning of the angle events Vince. Um, but you don't remember, um, but you tend to forget that we did have three really good matches on that show as well. So I think those five definitely, uh, carried the show, um, to the stand to the lofty, uh, grade that we gave it.
2: And, you know, like, and I don't feel like we're really being unfair. Cause you would think, well, we did have on raw, like evolution kind of forming a little bit, but I don't think we're being like harsh or not being fair by not giving it to any of them. Cause it just didn't. Like I mentioned when we talked about it, just didn't feel like it had the gravity. I don't feel like it was any kind of amazing performance or anything from them. Like, I just, I'm very weary of coming off as like a, um, like a Triple H hater because I know that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the deal at this time. But I just felt like watching it, it just didn't, it didn't really stand out to me. It may change in the coming weeks though. Mm hmm.
3: And plus, you know, they only um, they only teased Austin's return. We didn't actually see him. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely, you know, it's it's kind of funny. They're, you know, making you want to pay the money to see Austin return on the pay-per-view. Yet, meanwhile, here they throw Hogan out on a free on the free show. Um, so <laughs> I, just found, I thought that was kind of interesting as
2: well. Right. And it could be because they know what they they know what story they have for Hogan. And maybe they're still trying to figure out how to. How to reintegrate Austin, because that was sort of an issue before he left is he felt kind of like they didn't have anything really worthy of his kind of star power. So maybe that's part of why they're delaying it, too, is just trying to figure out what the hell they want to do with him. But yeah. anyway, it'll certainly be interesting. Um, You know, things are uh, a lot is happening. I'm sure a lot more is going to happen as I continue down the road to WrestleMania 19. But Uh, Thanks for coming on, Steve. I I know you have some podcast stuff going on, right, that you'd like to uh, tell us about?
3: Yeah, so you can usually um, find me over on the uh, PTB and Pop Experience. Um, I have a couple shows there. I have uh, Pop Goes the Classics, where me, Andy Atherton, and Miranda Berthold are going through all the Disney animated films. Uh, we are headstrong right now into the Disney Renaissance. We are completing up the uh, the trifecta of great films that was Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King. And then we kind of are going to hit the, tail, the back half of the Renaissance, which I think has some uh, pretty underrated films in there. So it will be good to get back into those and see how those still hold up. Uh, and of course, I also have Mickey Mount Rushmore. When me and a group of guests come on, we discuss various topics. And also, uh, we just started over on the uh, pop feed. Um, the PTB video jukebox song of the day where a um, bunch of, where some of us will come on and we'll basically be live watching a music video and just discussing it. Um, that will be every single morning. Um, you get a couple of different voices on there. I've done i f- I'm going to be doing a few. I know Andy's going to be doing a few and a couple of other voices going on. So be sure to check all that out and also everything else on the pop experience. And over on the uh, wrestling feed, I have uh, kind of become the new um, co-host of Extreme Resurrection along with James Grunberg. Um, his uh, former co-host, Mike Cook, had to step away for a little bit um, to deal with some personal things, so I uh, so James asked me to jump in, and of course I, well, I willingly accepted. Um, so on our most recent episode, we discussed the two episodes of ECW following December to December. so we are about to wrap up 2006 and head into 2007. Uh, the Paul Heyman era is officially over there, and now we are into the new era with both uh, Lashley as champion. And a lot of uh, interesting, interesting stuff going on over there. So be sure to check that out. And also, I made my debut on the Jenny position recently. Uh, myself and Jennifer Smith I uh, was on for, you knew you heard about Pluto, where we watched um, two classic episodes of South Park on the Comedy Central channel. So that was a lot of fun to get to do that. Um, those are uh, episodes I've seen plenty of times. And uh, I think Jenny had made, probably not seen them. Uh, if she had seen them before, it had been a while. So it was a good kind of dynamic uh, watching those episodes. So be sure to check those out. Um, and be sure to check out everything else we got going on. Um, you can usually find me over find me over on the PTP and Facebook page. Uh, lots of great stuff going on over there. Discussions, um, all sorts of things. And also be sure to check out Uh If you're looking to be a uh, new writer for the site um drop us a line and we'll take a look at your work and see if uh, we want to bring you on so lots of great stuff going on uh, all across the uh the nation
2: awesome so check all that out always a pleasure to have you on here steve uh make sure everyone check out uh everything we have on the north south connection tons of stuff dropping daily i will be back in the fold it seems going forward uh you know if everything goes smoothly but uh, I'll be back in a couple weeks and we will continue on this road to uh, No Way Out and eventually at WrestleMania. So I will see you then. Uh, later.